Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode 26, The End Times. We're on part six of Revelation. Last time we covered chapter 10 and 11. Chapter 10 was the angel and the small scroll, uh, the seventh trumpet, how that is the same trumpet as the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. We covered the little book that he was told to eat and that it was a idiom, which is a common language device that is used, such as when we say we kill two birds with one stone. So we covered that a little bit in more detail, some of the history on that from Ezekiel. Then we covered chapter 11, the two witnesses and the seventh trumpet, and the extra periods of time from the book of Daniel, the 30 days and the 45 days at the end of the tribulation period. So that brings us to chapter 12. Chapter 12 is the woman, the dragon, and the war in heaven. I'm going to read the chapter really fast, and then we're going to go through and we're going to kind of dissect it a little bit into those three parts. So verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child, as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Now you guys should take note of that a thousand two hundred and three score is one thousand two hundred and sixty days, which is exactly three and a half years with the old Hebrew year being 360 days. Verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So this is one of the parts of the Bible where it gives a metaphor and it tells you what it means. That old serpent was the dragon, which is called the devil and Satan. So to try and symbolize the dragon to mean something else is to say that you don't believe the Bible when it says that it means Satan. So I like this verse because it there's no question now he's saying this is symbolism. So he was cast out onto the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nurtured for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. So once again, we have that time, times, and half a time which correlates to the 1,260 days because it's a year, two years, 
and half a year. So three and a half years. Verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, first of all, this is clearly a vision. Proper use of literal grammar means to understand when he is using symbolism. It doesn't mean when we say take it literally that there was literally a giant red dragon in space that somehow is bigger than all the stars in the galaxies. To take it literally means that we will use proper grammar tools. So he used a word, wonder. There appeared a great wonder in heaven. That word is from the Greek, semion, which means an indication, especially ceremonially or supernaturally, a miracle, a sign, or a token. So when it says wonder here, it is very clearly a sign of something supernatural. So he's speaking in symbolism or a metaphor, if you will. So the woman, she is the 12 tribes of the Jews. We'll go back and cover those verses really quick. At the beginning, it says a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. She brought forth a man child, which is a reference to Jesus Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God. So he went back into heaven and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness. So that's the nation of Israel, where she hath the place prepared of God that they should feed her there. When? During the thousand two hundred and three score days. Then when you go down to verse 13, the dragon persecutes the woman which brought forth the man-child. So he's persecuting the nation of Israel. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. So here, we're not sure what this is, but she's given a place to hide during the second half of the tribulation. The woman hid there and the earth helped the woman and opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So this is in the end times. The nation of Israel has a place to hide. The Antichrist is going to attack. Now, we don't know if it's a flood of water or if it's a flood of a giant army that's rushing across the earth to destroy them. And maybe God opens up the earth to swallow them up. That could be because this chapter is symbolism. And then the dragon was angry with the woman because he couldn't defeat her. So the nation of Israel will be safe, will be hidden unable to be defeated. And so the dragon will go to make war with the remnant of her seed. So we'll cover that in a moment. But we can see here that very clearly from verse one, the sun, the moon, and the 12 stars is a reference to Joseph at the very beginning in Genesis 37, nine, when Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brothers. And he said, behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars made obeisance to me, which means they bowed down to him. So the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are a reference to the 11 other tribes besides Joseph and his mother and father, Israel. Remember, Joseph's father had his name changed by God to Israel. So quite literally, as well as figuratively, the entire nation of Israel is indicated by this sun, moon, and 12 stars. And of course, she gave birth to Christ in, re in verse 2, 4, and 5. 
And it says, and she brought forth a man child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. If you look at Revelations 19, this is a reference to the end times. Revelation 19, verse 15 and 16, it says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. So who is this? And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is Jesus Christ, who is going to rule with a rod of iron all the nations of the earth for a thousand years. That's how you know that it's talking about Israel giving birth because Jesus was a Jew. So he gave, she gives birth to this king who will rule the nations. Then you look at uh, verse 6, and the woman fled into the wilderness, right? This is a reference to uh, Matthew 24, verse 15 and 16. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and we've covered that before, Jesus is talking saying that the Antichrist is going to come in and desecrate the temple. Continuing here in verse 15, he says, And stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So Jesus Christ is saying, hey, you need to run and hide in the mountains. And he's talking to the Jews about the Jews who are in Judea when this happens at the time of the abomination of desolation. So Revelations 12 verse 6 is clearly talking about the second half of the tribulation when the Antichrist does this and makes war against the nation of Israel. So where are they going to flee? Well, Jesus himself said somewhere in the mountains, right? There's a lot of speculation about it being Petra. Quite possibly, I don't know where it is. And then it makes reference to how do they get there, right? And it says they'll fly on the wings of an eagle. Well, it used to be back in the day, I remember my parents talking about this when I was a kid, that uh, American Airlines, when they came out with the Boeing 747 and their symbol was an eagle, right? And it was like, oh, wow, this is the biggest plane ever. What if this is the plane, the wings of a giant eagle that saves them, right? Now, I have no idea how God's going to take them out into those mountains. I suspect it's going to be something a little bit different than planes that can be shot down by a world leader, but who knows? And the whole point of this is not to discover all the mysteries of God, which is going to be impossible to do. The point of reading through revelations and talking about this stuff is to understand what God has promised will happen so that when we see it happen, we understand it's a fulfillment of the prophecy, right? So one of the cool things uh, that my wife brought up is what about uh, an angel saving them and carrying them out to the mountain. You know, there's that angel that has the four faces and one of them is the face of an eagle. And these angels are massively huge. If you read the book of Ezekiel, it talks about the cherubim and how tall they are. The, their heads are in the clouds up in the heavens and they have wings. What if an angel comes and just gathers up thousands of people and just flies them out there or leads them out there. I don't know. I have no idea. But the point is they will have a place to go and they will be safe from the armies of the world, which is pretty cool. Then we come to the second character that's mentioned here in this chapter, which is the dragon. He's obviously the devil because of that verse that states this is the devil and Satan, verse 9, right? But 
the reference to seven heads and ten horns, we covered this in the book of Daniel many times in the Old Testament and here in Revelation when God reveals the nations, the United Nations, if you will, at the end that give rise to the Antichrist, it's this seven heads and ten horns. It appears to be seven kingdoms that have ten kings that are given authority and power, and the Antichrist rises up from among these ten kings and takes over. So this is that great dragon who gives power to the Antichrist, okay? This chapter gives us some insight into the war in heaven from the beginning of time. Remember, at the very beginning, this war in heaven was only between angels, right? Human beings got mixed up in it because of Adam and Eve and Satan. And this war in heaven is referenced here in verse 4, where it says, The great dragon, his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. And when we study this, the stars of heaven, it really doesn't take much study the Bible clearly explains that those are angels. All right. Then verse seven, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and prevailed not. And there was found no more place for them in heaven. And the angels were cast out. I think that the biggest takeaway from this is that one third of the angels were cast out, which means that there are two thirds left. That should give us the greatest courage, confidence and hope in the spiritual war that we're in because we outnumber the enemy two to one. There is nothing to be afraid of. Anytime we are attacked by a demon, just ask God to send twice as many good angels to come help us. I think that's pretty cool. And then you look at uh, verse 12, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knows he hath but a short time. This actually reveals a lot about angeology. And that is when you study about the fall, Satan has been warring against Jesus Christ. And this is not anything new. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter three, verse 12, Adam and Eve, when God walks in the garden and asks them about eating the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the man said, the woman whom you gave it to me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the first prophecy of Jesus Christ. Enmity is strife, okay, between thee and the woman. So between Satan, the devil, the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. So her offspring, so mankind, right? And it says, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So what this is saying is there's going to be an offspring, which is the reference to Jesus Christ, that he is going to be harmed. That's the thou shalt bruise his heel. So think of the serpent crawling on the ground. If you step on it, right, you're going to crush its head. You're going to win. You're going to kill it. But what if it bites you on the heel? That's kind of the metaphor that it's bringing here is, you know, Jesus Christ is going to destroy the serpent, but it's going to hurt Jesus Christ. Well, if your heel is bruised, does it really hurt? Are you really 
destroyed? No. But Jesus' death on the cross is that bruising of the heel. It hurt God to see his son, Jesus Christ, die. Because he's God, he came back to life. It's merely a bruise. It's not a big deal. Okay? But it has celestial ramifications for all of eternity. So his death there was huge. And that's why he mentions it here in Genesis 3.15. And then, of course, Satan knows what his end is going to be, right? His end is going to be the lake of fire, preceded by a thousand years, chained to the sides of the bottomless pit. So you can find out more of this history. All of the Bible works together here, the Old Testament, the New Testament. So I'm going to read a couple of passages and tie these together on the history of Satan and what's going to happen to him. Now, there's a, a double prophecy or a history, if you will, in the book of Isaiah about the king of Babylon. However, it's a clear reference to the end of Satan as well. So let's look at that. Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. There you go, the angels. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So this is a reference to the king of Babylon. It's a, a prophecy about him, how he's going to be brought down and destroyed because of his pride and saying he's better than God. Right. But he specifically mentions Lucifer, which is one of the names of Satan, how that Lucifer had exalted himself above the throne of God, literally in heaven. And this is what we had just read here in Revelation. And this is how we know it's not just the king of Babylon because of what happens to him in verse 15. This is clearly a reference to Satan because it says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So what pit is he referencing? Second Peter 2 Peter 2.4 talks about this. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, this is a reference to Genesis chapter 6, those angels who left their first estate, to be reserved unto judgment. So God spared not those angels, but cast them down to hell. The word for hell in the original Greek is Tartaru. This is the only place in the Bible that this word is used. That's where we get the word Tartarus, which is the bottomless pit. So they are delivered, chained on the sides of this bottomless pit to be reserved for judgment, which is referred to in Revelations chapter 20. I'll get there in a minute. It's also mentioned here in Jude 1 verse 6, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. What is this chains of darkness and this Tartaru, this bottomless pit, the sides of the pit that Isaiah references? And this is the pit of Revelation 20. Verse 1, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years in this bottomless pit. Verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's after the judgment at the very end. After the thousand years, 
Now Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Satan knows that this is his end and he's pissed off about it. He tries to destroy the woman, the nation of Israel, in the tribulation time period. When he can't and God saves them in that place in the wilderness, Satan will turn on the believers of Jesus Christ when he can't kill the Jews. That's Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now it's not just the Jews. Now it's the people who realize that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, the Jewish religion, right? And that Jesus Christ is actually the Messiah. And the devil is pissed off at these people. And because he can't kill God's chosen people, the Jews, now he's going to come after anyone who has the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's how we know Satan is going to use the Antichrist to hunt down believers in the end times. Then you come to chapter 13, and I'm just going to read through this and, and narrate kind of as I go as to what this is talking about, because this is something that we've already covered exhaustively in the book of Daniel and in previous chapters of Revelation, okay? So Revelation 13, and I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So here we have a continuation of this vision. Now he's seeing something else, a beast, similar to what Daniel saw, right? And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, Satan, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So now we have this kingdom rising up. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And this is how we know that the Antichrist, one of the heads of this kingdom, so seven kingdoms, right? Wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast and they worshiped the dragon. So they worshiped the devil who gave power to the beast. And then they worshiped the beast also saying, who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? He just came back from a deadly wound and he survived, right? So came back to life, if you will, similar to what Jesus Christ did. And I say similar because I don't believe he actually comes back to life. I think he is wounded with a deadly wound and Satan miraculously heals it. I personally don't believe that he is actually killed. Maybe he's in a coma or something like that. I don't know. Verse five, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue 42 months. Here again, we know this is three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation period. Verse six, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. So there you go. Same as the previous chapter where he turns on the believers and to overcome them, here's how we know we won't escape, all right? We've talked about the beheading of those who follow Christ and refuse to take the mark of the beast, right? So he actually has power, Satan, to overcome the believers. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. 
And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Expect to be captured by the Antichrist and by his minions, right? And if you are captured, speak the way God wants you to speak and be prepared to give your life to be beheaded for not taking the mark. Because if you take that mark of the beast, that's it. That is proof that you do not follow Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus said that if you do not, if you are ashamed of him, then he will be ashamed of you when you stand before the great white throne of judgment. And then the second part of verse 10 that says, he that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. I believe that this is more judgment speaking about bad guys who are murdering people, right? But it could also be a reference to if you pick up a sword to fight, expect to die. You know, you have that age old saying that comes from here. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword, right? This is where my belief is that you as a Christian will have to make a choice. Are you going to submit meekly and let yourself be captured and be beheaded? Or are you going to pick up a sword or a gun, as the case may be, and shoot back? Are you going to be one of those Christian warriors that fights? And there's clear precedence in the Bible for strong men of God to be warriors, to fight, to defend people. Now you have the last part of the verse that says, here's the patience and the faith of the saints. Well, some Christians do not have that uh, desire to go out fighting. Some Christians have great patience and are able to be pacifists and are able to submit meekly. And because of their great faith, they may be like many Christians in the past who have been burned at the stake or beheaded where they are captured and in chains and get to actually testify before courts and kings and, and speak to their captors and maybe be a witness to other people that I won't have the opportunity to because I'm going to stand up and fight. I'm going to die fighting. Now we have verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. So right here, I think this second beast is a prophet that is given power by Satan to do miracles, to bring fire from heaven and such, to deceive people. And I think that completes the unholy trinity, clearly trying to emulate the trinity of God, where he's got this power on earth, this man, the Antichrist, and that man has a second one in power who's like the, his prophet that does miracles and creates an image and makes people worship it, right? And then you have the dragon, which is giving them both all that power. Verse 15, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak 
and caused that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Here's your mark of the beast. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. And there you have it. That's where we get the 666, the mark of the beast, to be able to buy and sell. This is why I think the COVID passports were such a horrible, disastrous thing. Because the idea that you can't go into a store, you can't travel, you can't go somewhere without having the special number or passport or QR code on your phone or whatever. It's straight out of the book of Revelation right here. There is no other point for these passports or anything similar to this other than to establish complete control over your freedom and to usher in this mark of the beast. And I think they're going to force this on the world. And then they're going to say, hey, some people don't have smartphones or some people lose their smartphones. Or what about if somebody can steal your special QR code? And, and so now you can't buy stuff because it's linked to your bank account, right? So they'll come up with this idea, well, it needs to be in you, you know, in your hand or in your forehead. That is my idea of how this comes about. It could be something totally different. We have no idea. All we know is that there will be a mark. And if you take that mark, you are going to be damned. And the verse that tells us that is the next chapter, Revelation 14, 9 through 12. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That covers everything we just talked about. Don't take the mark of the beast. So, I like that quote from the gladiator where the general Maximus Aurelius addresses his troops and he says, brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And then they charge into battle. What we do in this life will echo in eternity. Not only will it be a testimony to those around us, even if we die, but God will bless us in heaven when we do things his way. So let that be an encouragement to you. Take comfort in the fact that we do have the hope of heaven. We do not have to fear what man can do to us and that it's okay to fight, especially when it's for the cause of Jesus Christ. I could go on and on and on about this stuff. I love the idea of being a warrior. I have a warrior's heart and that's why after 9-11 I joined our military that's why I enjoy Ephesians 6 and the spiritual warfare chapters. I love God. I love Jesus Christ. And I will be one of those people that fights. But whether you do or not is between you and God. Just rest in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's all I've got to say about that. I could talk forever, guys. If you have any questions about chapter 12 or 13, please email me at angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. 
I would love to hear from you. Uh, again, to those who support my podcast, thank you so much. On Spotify, you can click on support this podcast to donate a couple of dollars here uh, each month. And I look forward to continuing with chapter 14 next time. So until then, may God bless you.